This is Just Why It Matters, and the program is about conversations with people from different walks of life. My guests are subject experts as well as people who have the lived experience of being blind or who have low vision. We'll cover topics ranging from sports, arts, social events, and everything else across the spectrum for as long as it helps you lead a full life. Welcome to Just Why It Matters. This is Kenneth Poir and welcome to Just Why It Matters. Today I've got a special guest and he is Peter Renzulo. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter. He has a background in music and I believe he's a musician himself. But he's now gone into the field of filmmaking. Peter, welcome to Just Why It Matters. Thank you for having me. Now, Peter, let's begin at the early stages of your life. What got you into music? And tell us a little bit about your vision impairment. Yeah, well, my vision impairment is cone dystrophy. And it came on about the age of 12, 13. And it sort of took about three years to really develop into what it is today, which is I'm now left with 3% of the vision. This is the cone dystrophy. is the cones, obviously, in the retina. So I'm down to 3% of that. But my peripheral is not too bad. So I tend to find it easier to read in dark than I do in light. So it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people think my blindness is, which is oh, more light and be helpful, but it's not. It's actually worse. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I think around the same age, about 12, 13, 14, I started really getting a passion for guitar playing. Hmm. So I started learning that for a few years. And that just became you know an obsession to me. So after high school, I went into university to study music. And I, and I did that. And I really fell in love with the recording side of things after that. And from there, I started doing some recording. And that's where I ended up putting my profession into, into studio recording. Oh, right. So do you do sessions uh, with other musicians as well? I actually, actually, I run them, yeah. So I actually you have, run I've them? got my own studio now. It started off just working at a studio, but now I actually have musicians come into my studio, which I've set up at home. It's just a nice little setup. But I get clients in all the time and I, and I record for them. Oh, fantastic. Now, genre of music, what's your favorite? Oh, at the moment, it's blues. Like rock, blues. Yeah, blues rock. <laughs> so oh, I do like, right. I'm, a, I'm traditionally, I'm a guitarist, but I do have a lot of variation in different instruments I play because I'm a producer. I but see. I keep calling back to that blues guitar. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well, I'll just share with you a secret. My favorite blues guitarist is Johnny Winter. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's never everyone for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. So you've been doing the music scene for how long? Oh, geez. 20 odd years now. 20 odd mm-hmm. years. Yep. Fantastic. So you started at the age of three. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> right. Okay. So now you've gone into filmmaking. I have. What, what got the bug into you? Well, initially, because I do my studio recording, a lot of bands that I recorded were then going to go out and do music videos. So I thought I'd have my hand at maybe helping them with that. So for a couple of years, I just helped them make some music videos. So I'd take my little camera to live venues and record them live. And then that turned into me actually producing different little music clips and, and like acted out clips for them. But then after a while, I started branching out into wanting to work on film, but in the capacity as a score writer, as a music writer. And I found a director, and his name was Jordan Princewright. And he's done a few films around Perth, and I was lucky enough to be the music writer for those films. And just seeing the behind the scenes of how he did this and how he created the films and and what he did to like his, his crew, like his cinematographer, his producer and I thought oh, I could probably have a handle of this if I find a camera that can help me see what I'm doing yeah. this could actually kind of work out really well and I did find that camera fantastic mm. so how long did it take for you to find the right equipment a couple of months it was a bit of a bit of research to is do that all? yeah that's all that's yeah, all it's yeah. pretty quick because what I did find is that there was this feature on a lot of the higher end cameras 
is called focus guide, which is whenever you have a certain part of your image in focus, a very harsh green hue goes around it. So I could see that on the screen. I couldn't see if what the image is in focus or not, but I could see this green hue appear around this person. And that's what I use to get things in focus. So if I, once I knew that, I could roll with it and start framing my shots and, and I could see what was in focus and what wasn't by this green hue. So it's just purely a technology advancement that I was able to do this. Right. Now, when you started off with the idea of making a film and maybe you shared the idea with a few people, did you get any strange... Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, of course. Blind making, blind men making a film. That's Are you right. kidding? That's right. And see, most of them at first thought, "Oh, that's a good idea." So who's who's actually shooting it for you? Because I thought I was going to direct it. I thought, oh, actually, I'm shooting it. And then I got some funny looks. Like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to get a lot of scenery shots. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. <laughs> but in the end, it worked out great. It was great in the end. So of course, you get skepticism at the start. But yeah. for me, it was more to show to myself that I could do it and and to make this story that I thought would be a nice story to deliver actually a reality and it was really cool because with that technology I couldn't have done it so, okay now without stealing the thunder from the actual movie mm -hmm. give us a bit of a background a snapshot of what the movie's about oh well it's, it's straightforward enough I mean it's actually a bit of an experience through me being a music producer dealing with artists who come into the studio and um, what I did is I made a story about an, art, uh, an artist called Lenny and it's a fictitious story but it's based on my experience with how anxious a lot of these artists get a lot of them have a lot of social anxiety, so they hate being the center of attention. They hate being in front of crowds, but they want to be, they have this yearning to be musicians, to be live. So I found that an interesting concept, you know, because um, I didn't suffer from anxiety myself. So I just thought it was, a, to explore that in a story was a kind of cool thing. So it's basically about a musician called Lenny who goes through life trying to make it in his music scene, but he's yeah. also got this struggle with anxiety. So it's about him overcoming that. Oh, right. Mm. Now, how long is this feature film? 112 minutes. 112 yeah, so almost, minutes. Almost two hours. It's, it's a big one. And your raw footage, what was the length of your raw footage? Oh, it must have been hours and hours. It, it was in the, in the tens and tens. Oh, actually, was it was probably in the hundreds, actually. Well, to give you an idea, it's I shot it in 4K raw, which is a very, very large format. And I have about 70 terabytes of raw footage. 70 terabytes. It's a, it's a, lot, of, a lot of drives on my desk. <laughs> so it's very, very, yeah, very taxing on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and how long did it take? for you to edit the the film because that would have been a bit of a task that was well. huge yeah I, in fact i finished filming only in january this year and i've just finished the audio edit of it mm. last night the actual footage edit took me about uh three and a half months non-stop as in like every day about eight hours in, in the evening rather because i've got two young kids so i've got to make sure i look after them first right then they went so once they're in bed i start my work day uh work night editing up this film so it was basically about eight hours a night Three months straight. It was a big one. <laughs> oh, man. Sounds like a lot of sleep deprivation. Oh, it really was. It really is. And it still is, but I'm, I'm almost at the end of it now. So I'm, I'm fingers crossed it's going to be uh, smooth sailing from now on <laughs> to, to, to premiere. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about script writing. Did you have to write the actual screenwriting? I did. And the music overs? Everything. So basically, everything. Um, because I was taking this on, I, I and I didn't, I'm, I've got no experience in the in the film industry apart from writing music. I didn't have many contacts to producers or to cinematographers and stuff. I, I only had the people I worked with in other films, but mm. they were busy doing other stuff. And some of them are actually over East now. So I had to just take on the whole role of everything. So I, I mean, I've, as a score writer, it was easy because I knew what I was doing with music, but filming and, and script writing was a whole new thing for me. So it was a great way just to almost learn on the, on the job, you know, <laughs> so, interesting way to go. <laughs> now, what were the main points of criticism you got from your piece of work? Well, I guess the biggest thing is the, 
the, the way I would set my white balance, which is the which is a, a setting on the camera, which is, I suppose is how the camera perceives white in a certain environment. Yeah. And the only reason that there was criticised is because I can't see it. I'm, I'm colorblind as well, mm. so I can't really judge that well. But that's why I shot it in RAW because in that format you can adjust the white balance afterwards. So from a technical point of view, I, I could be I could salvage it still because it was all um, able to be edited after in the post. So I've got someone actually doing my color grading, which is the one who's taking care of it all. Yeah. There's a guy called Ben Nib in Queensland, actually. He came oh. over to record, funny enough, and I met him that way. But he's actually a color grader, so he's able to help me with that. He's able to fix it up for me. Apart from that, everyone was amazed at what was coming through, which is really humbling to know that what I was doing was actually just holding its own, not just because, oh, well, he's blind, so it must be good. It's actually quite good, regardless of what I was like. So that was interesting for me to hear. <laughs> <laughs> now, where were these movie sets? Uh, were they movie sets? Or were not they at all. Outdoor? They where were did outdoor. you go? A lot of them were outdoors. A lot of them were indoors. But they were mainly music venues or outside shots. So basically, I shot, I shot a lot in Bassendine because I live in Bassendine. Mm-hmm. So just from that reason alone, it's easier for me to shoot there. But it was outdoors. And the music venues, which I'd, I'd played in for years anyway, I just basically struck up a, a relationship with the owners and I got them in to let us use the room for certain nights. So a lot of it was purely at buildings or outdoors of just essentially guerrilla shooting. There was no real sets made. It was, it was purely on on situation in location. And I brought my own lighting and had it lit up like that. Oh, fantastic. Mm, yep. Now, how long did the whole thing take to film and well, to from writing, put together? From writing to completion, it was June 2017 I started and I wrote the main script between uh, June 2017. We started shooting on July 2017 and we wrapped up shooting in January this year, so 2019. So it was a, it was about almost two years worth of, uh, of actual production and it's still going right now if you include the audio production for the final for the final film. So it's a work in progress uh, since 2017. Wow, that's, that's a lot of time and a lot of effort put into it. Yeah, I love it though. It's, it's, it's exciting because it's, it's new, you know? It's yeah. the first time I've tried this. Now, we, we can't finish the conversation or we can't get on with the conversation without talking about financing and funding. Where did you find your your funds to put the movie and everything else together? Well, initially, I got in touch with my, my contacts in the music scene. Because this film is based on, in music and in the music scene itself, I reached out and I said, look, I'm trying to put this film together and I'm looking at raising funds for it. So I actually offered some recording deals where they would come in and they pay a bit extra. They'd get their song recorded, but also have their song featured in the film. So I essentially funded the film by offering recordings through my studio. So it was a, a strange way to get around it, but it worked well. <laughs> very clever. Very clever. Yeah. So what did you learn from this whole project as a person? Well, I think the biggest thing I've learned is essentially if you believe you can do something, it really is it really is something that you can do. And I know it sounds very cliched, but that is how I feel. And it's, I mean, it's something I've always carried with me. But because I didn't rely on my eyes for a lot of my profession, because music doesn't need it too much, I always sort of got around it that way, thinking, oh, well, you can believe in it, you can do it. But I never really forced myself to try something I didn't think I could do initially. And I didn't think I could do this initially. Mm. But I just thought, well, I can do this. It's the, the features are there, the technology is there, just do it. And I think ultimately what I learned is that if you just start doing it, It'll work or it won't. And in this case, luckily it worked. So, <laughs> so the belief is what's important here. Yeah, that's right. But any moments of self-doubt? Of course. And the biggest self-doubt I had was halfway through, realizing I'd started this massive project and all these people involved and got, in, got on board with me. I, I was suddenly very responsible for making this thing work. So the self-doubt came through being able to pull it off and seeing it to the end and making sure I could finish this. So, I mean, they were fleeting, but they were there at the moment, <laughs> luckily. Now, how are you getting the message out that this film is coming to Australia? Well, I've actually, a lot of it is online. 
I've got, I've had a, a few things like, like these, these podcasts here, I'll reach out and I'll do things like podcasts, radio interviews. I've even had a lucky enough to have a story on ABC, a national syndication one on the news, which was fantastic. And I actually got some press that way, but a lot of us has been pushing it online and people coming to me and saying, Oh, we'd love to run a story on this. or we'd love to talk to you about this and how this worked. So essentially, I suppose if you want to call it a disability that helped me get some sort of recognition in, in the industry, which normally is not a very common thing to see a blind cinematographer or a director. Yeah. So it, it, that was actually quite a help in that way to get some press, <laughs> some, you know, press out there. <laughs> it's so strange. Are you concerned in any way that this might be boxed in and stereotype a movie about blind people and for blind people? I, I am, definitely am. And in fact, what I wanted to really achieve with that, that's why in, in my promotions for this film, I never actually mentioned that I was uh, legally blind at all. I just put this film out there. It's when they realized I was blind, they'd come to me and go, oh, well, this is an amazing story. But for me, I think the, the, the film has to hold its own. I'd love for this film to go well, and then they realize I'm blind afterwards. Instead of thinking, well, there's a blind director, let's go check it out. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I'd hope that to be the catalyst to go see it. Yeah. And I can understand it's an interesting thing to people, yeah. but I'd love to have them watch the film and think, wow, that was actually really good. Yeah. Oh, he's blind too, you know? So it's a thing that they realize afterwards, not because they want to see it because I'm blind. Yeah. So I want, to, I want it to be essentially, it's, a, it's a, a part of my life, but it's not the reason this film should do well, I'm hoping. Right. Any hopes for taking the film outside of Australia? Absolutely. In fact, the first step I want to do is take it to film festivals internationally and see how well it does in the international stage. And then, and of course, the, the amazing thing would be to get it distributed so it actually goes into actual cinemas and get, get a run. Any first thoughts of film festivals that are on your calendar? Actually, yes, because of my work with Jordan Prince-Wright and when I did a score for his film, we actually entered the LA Independent Film Festival and I was lucky enough to win an award there for my music on the film uh, that he did. So I want to bring my film to that LA Film Festival to start off with. And then from there, there's also some European ones. So first stop though, LA. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. Now let's switch gears a little bit. Your favourite films, what movies speak to your heart oh interesting okay well it depends on what sort of mood i'm in but <laughs> as far as directors go I, I i really can't go past scorsese i grew up a lot on those films you know the way he shoots is this really inter- interesting to me yeah, it doesn't feel conventional at all it just seems to be his style and his little signature on his style of film i, I also love guy Ritchie. I, I seem i tend to gravitate towards directors who just do things a bit differently to what you'd normally see and those two for me are, are the favorites so any film by those two so more, I'm more of a fan of a director than the actual films. There's a blanket across their films. That's a director. I love it. <laughs> so good. Very good. Very good. Now, any thoughts about an epic film? Do you think making this film has given you a sort of a springboard to try to do something a little bit bigger? Absolutely. A little bit more adventurous? Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing I've found is the, the, the necessity for a bigger budget on things like hiring venues. I mean, I was lucky enough with this because I managed to deal with people I dealt with in my music venues and stuff. that I've done. So it wasn't very expensive to hire music venues. But if you want to do large-scale actual sets, it does cost a lot of money. So from this one here, I'm hoping this is a bit of a resume for me, this film. So I can show people I can make a film. I have the ability to do this and put it together. So if I get some decent funding behind me, I have stories in mind that I've already, I'm already putting into onto paper that I want to make next, and they're going to require a grander budget. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it, it, it definitely has broadened my horizons. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of them of people coming to the party with the with the funding, and hopefully that'll happen off this film. Do you think you might actually write a story for a new movie yourself? Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure. In fact, really, I mean, as much as I love making the film, 
I love the writing as well. And I love writing dialogue between characters and to see two actors play out that dialogue and just to see how realistic it comes across. So for me, it's really exciting to see what I've written being actually spoken and, and interacted with two people. So for me, writing is, is paramount, actually. I'd love to be a, just a writer. But the filmmaking is the exciting part, obviously, because you see you see them actually doing it, and you know that you've recorded it. So, yeah. Now, how do you strike balance? You've got your music business, and you've got this new creative streak of filmmaking. How are you going to strike balance between the two? It's a good question. I haven't even thought of that because I know right now my main thing is the music, and the film has been the fun thing on the side. But if it does turn into something more more sustainable or more more realistic as a job. There, there'll probably be a transition period there where I have to, will I have to focus more on film? Will I have to focus more on music? At the moment, I'm marrying the two because, of course, my, my passion is in music, but also this newfound love of filmmaking because I'm actually a score writer by trade, I suppose, with the other films I've done. I'm trying to keep them together moving forward as a, as a business and also just as a, as a joy to do. So one hasn't overtaken the other yet. Right. But it, it may happen, and I'm not sure how to deal with that yet. <laughs> when it comes, when it, when it happens, I'll have to deal with it. But right now, I'm loving having both of them balanced fairly evenly. But it, it's a struggle, of course, for time. It's only 24 hours a day, unfortunately. <laughs> Peter, does being blind give you an unknown advantage in picking up some of the more subtle bits and pieces of putting a film together? For me, I think it does because my, my ear is very keen on how certain lines are delivered. Where, where other directors may be really focused on how a certain shot looks, I'm really, really focused on how they sound because all I'm seeing is a green hue on the screen. So I'm not really seeing much of what's happening, but I am hearing what they're saying and the way they're delivering their lines. So for me, I think the biggest thing is that it's given me a sense of the importance of how they deliver lines, not just how they look delivering them. And how do the actors and actresses respond to you? Because they're looking at you and they're saying, this director's blind. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's true. In fact, uh, about 50% of them initially didn't even realize I was blind. I just made the film and then they realized afterwards, what, are you serious? Oh my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> that was quite funny. But yeah, they, they, they and after that, they started realizing just how well I knew my own script yeah. and what I wanted from them. Yeah. And because I was so clear on that, they were able to do their job easier. So I think if a director, any director, regardless of your vision, if they know what they want from an actor yeah. then and they can articulate that, then it makes their job so much easier and, it, and you get what you want as far as how you want the scene delivered. So for me, I found it was a joy working with some of these. And some of these haven't acted before, these people as well. A lot of them are friends from the music scene or, or they've done some theatre, but not nothing on film. So this is all the first for a lot of people, not just me. Oh, right. mm. so you might be launching a few more careers. Well, you know, it could be, it could be. <laughs> Peter, when does the film come to the cinemas? Okay, the official premiere is the 11th of August and that's at Event Cinemas in Whitford. Right. Yep. And then afterwards, where will you be taking it across Australia? Well, I'd love to send it through to regional areas. So I have a few contacts down in Albany, a couple up north as well. But I would love to take it essentially to all these little country towns as well, because some of the actors are from country towns and from Harvey and from Bunbury, some of those smaller towns down south. Beautiful. So yeah, everywhere and anywhere really. But the first step will be this premiere. And if it does well, then I'm hoping it will just be throughout Australia in no time. What would you say to someone out there who's saying, ooh, if Peter can do it, so can I. Maybe I should give this a go. They're 100% right. Because, because, I, because I would have heard someone possibly in a podcast before I did the film, and if they were saying that, and I, and I said, well, maybe I can do it, well, I've just shown I can do it. And I'm, no, I'm nothing special. I just thought I would do it, and I put myself to it, and I dedicated to it. So for me, the biggest thing is just believing that you can start. Not that you can even finish it, just that you can start. Because if you, if you believe you can start this project, you will finish it. 
because you've got to have that passion behind you. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. If you sort of, oh, I'll give it a shot, it's pretty much failed from the start. So you need to really believe it. You can hear his passion, Peter's Italian. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for any distortion in the recording. <laughs> now, Peter, final question. Where do people go if they want to catch the trailer? Oh, actually, the trailer is online on YouTube. So if you want to go see the trailer, then just go to YouTube and type in Anticipation Film 2019, and there'll be some trailers that will come up. And if you wanted to actually come to the premiere, which will be in August, it's weeks away now, goodness, you can go to trybooking.com and just type in Anticipation, and there'll be links there. To the, there's only about 60 or so tickets left, so it's getting it's getting close to running out. But if you want to go check it out, that's where you got to go. Oh, that's a good sign. That is a really good sign. It really sign. is. It's exciting. So here you've got it. You've got the film, mm-hmm. Anticipation, and the director, and screenwriter, and everything. Catra, even. And Catra, and score, music score yep. writer as well. That's right. Is the one, same, Peter Renzullo. Peter, thanks for coming in and speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. And until I see you again on another episode of Just Why It Matters, this is Kenneth Pass signing out. <laughs>